you have to have a good product. This wasn't about me being a black woman. I literally created something that a white guy in Arkansas loves. Welcome to the iFund Women Show, where we are talking to one entrepreneur about one huge problem in her business, and we are going to help her solve it. I'm your host, Karen Kahn. My team and I founded iFund Women to help female entrepreneurs get access to the capital, the expert coaching, and the lucrative connections all designed to grow our ideas into profitable, sustainable businesses. Let's do this. What's up, entrepreneurs? Welcome to the show. Our guest today is Lindsay Murphy, who is the creator of the Kids Science Show on YouTube called The Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay. And by the way, if you have school-age children, you should be watching the show because she's teaching your kids science that they're not getting in school. We love her for that. So Lindsay has a major problem that she needs solved in her business. And wouldn't you know it, we have an iPhone Women of Color member, the incomparable, Miss Kalila Wright, founder of one of my favorite brands, Mess in a Bottle. She has already solved Lindsay's problem herself, done and done. So instead of boiling the ocean and reinventing the wheel and all those other sayings that I say all the time, we're going to get right to the solution. So here we go. So, Lindsay. The problem that we're going to solve today, I am very confident and excited about is how do I get onto the shelves at grocery stores and big box stores like Target? How do I get there? I'm going to say as fast as possible, but you know, what are the steps? What does it look like to go from my kitchen, dining room table assembly line to moving units? Like I said, my local grocery store all the way up to Target or Walmart. Amazing. So That is the problem we're going to solve today. And one of the things that we have learned through our coaching of thousands and thousands of women is that entrepreneur problems are relatively universal, right? There's not everyone that's going to want to know like how to get into big box stores, but I bet millions of you do. So stay tuned. We're going to get to a potential answer. There oftentimes are lots of answers to a question, including this one. There's not one linear path necessarily. When our special guest joins, she's going to tell you how she got into Target. Lindsay, tell us about your business. Tell us about the Fab Lab, how it started, what the point of it is, who are your viewers, who are your customers. Tell us about it all. So, hey, everyone. My name is Lindsay Murphy. I'm the creator and host of a kid science show called The Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay. I launched my show in 2010, and this year I'm going to launch my first consumer product that goes along with the show. As I said, I've been doing it for 10 years. I've crowdfunded a ton of money. I have a really strong sense of marketing and who my target audience is, who's engaging with my stuff, who's asking for more. And so entering into this new consumer product space is really exciting. Okay, awesome. So Kalila is joining us. Legit celeb in our midst. So let me just give a quick intro. Kalila's time is so limited. I literally texted her like 15 minutes ago. And I was like, can you please school this wonderful entrepreneur on what it takes to get into Target? Because I know Kalila, because I listen to your podcast. What a mess. What a mess. Your podcast, I am learning a ton from entrepreneurship. And this is no joke audience. So Kalila runs a company called Mess in a Bottle. And I'm going to let her tell you about it. She's one of my entrepreneurship sheroes. 
During this time, I really think about the entrepreneurs who have inspired me truly and who I have learned from. And Kalila is one of those women. One of the reasons why is Kalila has such a great product, truly a great product. And she has bootstrapped her way to deep seven-figure annual revenue mm-hmm. and now into 1,400 Target stores. Yay! No venture capital, no help. She has done it on wow. her own. So we were just getting started with Lindsay and talking about what she does. But let's just get right to the heart of the matter. Let's just go for it. So Kalila, tell the people who you are. So Kalila Wright, and I am the owner of Mess in a Bottle. We are a t-shirt company that puts messages on t-shirts and they come packaged in a reusable bottle. I started Mess in a Bottle in 2016, shortly after the Freddie Gray, like the uprising in Baltimore. So Freddie Gray, an African-American male, he died while in police custody. And so, you know, this sparked riots in my Baltimore City community. People wanted a voice. People wanted to express that they wanted change. And so created Mess in a Bottle as a form of communication and a way of getting people a message and for people to stand in solidarity with one another, giving a voice to the voiceless. So that's really the premise of Mess in a Bottle. And like Karen said, I think that Mess in a Bottle has done so well organically because the messages, they really resonate with people, no matter what your race, your nationality. When someone wears a Black woman created this, it is presented so that people have a form of conversation so that people can really talk about it and sort of question what does it mean? Why do you have on that shirt? Similarly to messages like As Strong as the Women Next to Me, those are all messages that really are created to empower and to start in conversations. We decided to create this product that really stems from the 310 BC concept and form of receiving a message in the ocean. Of course, this was sort of an analogy, but it was able to then develop this thing where now people everywhere want a message. I remember you from the beginning. I remember when you first posted Serena Williams wearing your camo. Mm -hmm. And that could have just been my first exposure to you and Mm -hmm. the celebrities that had picked up on your clothing. Was that the first big break? No, to be very honest, my real first big break, I don't even know if you know this, one year after starting Messing the Bottle, I was featured on television with Mark Cuban. Yeah, and that was on The Harry Show. One of the things I've learned within entrepreneurship is almost like spit on the wall with a spitball until it sticks. Someone told me about an opportunity. It was like an open kind of cast call. And I ended up going and successfully being able to land this show with Mark Cuban as one of the guests on the show. That was my first exposure where it was national exposure. So that insight, national exposure. Mm -hmm. In your experience with getting into a big box store like Target, Mm -hmm. national exposure is critical, correct? Definitely. I don't think Target knew about me then. I'll tell you, Target happened because Target was watching me for three years. And I didn't know that until recently when I did an interview with Target. They brought up something from like 2018 or different pop-up events that I would go to. And they're like, yeah, because we saw you at this event. And I was just like, wow, I had no idea they watched me for about three years. I've told the story recently 
there has been definitely times where I've wanted to leave different pop-up shops or I was exhausted. It's me by myself, a crate fell on my foot and I'm crying and it's cold and it was a terrible event and I might not have made much money and flew across the country just to go to this event and nothing was happening there. It was a bomb event. It just didn't take off, but there was a bigger purpose at the event and for me to be there. Okay, before we get into it with Lindsay, have a listen to this ad by a partner that you are going to want to hear from. Promise. Hey, entrepreneur. Have you found product market fit, driven growth, and made an impact with your business even during the pandemic? Sounds like you should apply to be iFundWomen Entrepreneur of the Year. Through our inaugural program, one grand prize winner will get, wait for it, a $100,000 equity investment into their business. That's six figures, baby. Apply today at ifunwomen.com forward slash EOY21. That's ifunwomen.com forward slash EOY21. Okay, so your first big break was with Mark Cuban. It was. This is back in 20, uh, what? 2017, 2018. It was about a year officially after I left my full-time job. So about like 2018. Got it. So in terms of getting into Target, let's just talk about like macro things that you need, right? You need to be able to manufacture enough. So Mm -hmm. minimum order quantity. You don't have to give us your secret sauce or anything. Mm -hmm. How many thousands or tens of thousands of units do you need to I was told this was the first time that they did some type of opportunity with us like this. And I'm really proud of this, especially with Target. This was just not the traditional route. I would say, again, this is a little bit of a very different type of structure. But again, this really shows me that if you are working really hard, you get noticed, people will want to work with you in any capacity and they'll make sure that it happens. So Target was very invested in us and not even going just the traditional route. And so they were able to kind of strike and do a deal in which we now can transition even our manufacturing from it. That was the goal. They wanted me to figure out how to make my company even larger than it is now with nothing to gain per se. And so they've connected me with different manufacturers and set up different things for me. And this was kind of the entryway for something like that. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. Traditionally, you would have to have purchase orders. So I did learn a lot. And Target also wanted me to learn what that traditional, you know, setting looks like. We would traditionally have to have a purchase order. And we did have a purchase order for, I would say it was a six-figure purchase order that Target did with me for the 1,400 stores. Thank you. What you're offering right now is what I feel like nobody talks about. (laughs) No one talks about this, so thank you. Can you talk about or just quickly sum up what a purchase order is? How it traditionally works is, for example, if I was going the traditional route, I'm in 1,400 stores, usually Target will send me a purchase order saying, hey, we want XXX comma XXX number of units. Whatever is going to cost, usually the business will put up front. And that can be close to almost a million dollars, depending on how many units they want to move. 
Because if you think about it, this is again why small businesses are probably not surviving in this space also, because that's a lot of upfront capital that you have to make sure you have to be able to put up. So that's the first thing. So the purchase order is actually them saying, we want this amount of units. And depending on the project, they're not going to put it in five stores. They're going to want to diversify it and put it in a lot of stores. So that's where your upfront capital and money first comes into play. Then the other part of it that becomes challenging for smaller businesses is they're like net 90 or net 60. So like you're really not getting any money back for a significant amount of time. Um, And net 90 or net 60 for anyone that might not know what that means is the window of time before they pay you the money from the date of the invoice or the purchase order. Correct. And most of the times as well, too, with some of these net, it's still in a payout amount. It's not like your full payment back. It still may take a couple of different months for the payout to actually happen. So I think that stuff like that can really end up tanking a business if you're using a lot of your capital or if you don't even have the startup capital or the working capital, I should say, to even be able to fulfill some of these purchase orders especially for small Black-owned businesses. I've seen it time and time again where a lot of them got on the shelves of major retail stores. And so I've had a couple of different mentors who have told me, big retail isn't your end-all and be-all. And I think a lot of us think that, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of backlash if things go wrong. I've even heard a horror story when I was first doing my research about going into a retail where someone said they got the money together, did a large purchase order, and basically like something on the label was incorrect and it ended up voiding their whole purchase order and they ended up going bankrupt because that totally dismantled their whole business and they lost all that money because of that label error. So again, if you don't have the money to play with the big boys, It's really not a space for us. Target really intentionally wanted me in the space and they made sure I was in the space. Something else that I wanted to also say for people who don't know, when you make your own, not even just making your own product, wherever you get your products manufactured, even if we outsourced or whatever, there is like an ethics and like a committee that needs to really come in. And, you know, for people like myself, if we're making most of our product in-house or even You know, if you have Joe down the street and they're making your product, big companies as a Target or as a Walmart, you have to have certain certificates. You have to have certain guidelines that's happening within your shop. They want to check that there has to be specific protocol. I'm right on top of that, Rose. Even if you are manufacturing overseas, Mm -hmm. they checked our bottle manufacturer overseas. They went, they have people on ground because can you imagine if something happens, they are the ones that would bear liability. So I think that that's also a really big thing to note that there's just specific guidelines that almost I wasn't ready for. We're still now kind of getting from the ground up. So there's a lot of stuff we wouldn't probably have been able to cross thresholds, guidelines, and the help from Target to say, hey. I really appreciate hearing all of this. I'm just gobbling this up. The question sort of looming in my heart that I feel like you're answering already is, what are the things that you wish you had known ahead of time that would have expedited the process? And I say this to say, like, your product had been around for quite some time. Target had been watching you for three years. So you had your own long track record. And then there was a runway of time before you actually got into the stores and you learned so much and you had a lot of help. 
But then I think about products, I'm here in Portland, Oregon, and I think about Jamie Schmidt, Schmidt's deodorant. She went from stirring a pot in her kitchen to a multi-hundred plus million dollar exit for her product to Unilever. So she was on grocery store shelves within two years. So there has to be a formula or there has to be like a template. There has to be something. And that's what I'm trying to shake out with this conversation, because yes, I know that there can be the route that takes a much longer time and has all these steps and all these learnings and yes, all the help that's needed, but there has to be a framework for someone as much as I love Jamie inexperienced, right? She took a shampoo class and started making pot of deodorant. And 18 months later, or two years later, was in Target or Whole Foods rather, excuse me, or wherever her grocery store is. And then she exits within five years or seven years. I think I can talk about this a little bit. Consumer products are a very macro category. So Kalila is a consumer product. She's got a t-shirt. Consumer packaged goods are things that you consume, you put on or in your body. Okay. So very big difference between being in a Target that sells consumer products from grocery to hardware, to t-shirt, clothing, you know, all the things, to iPhones, Samsung phones, whatever. When you're in a Publix, for the most part, or uh, Wegmans, they're selling food or personal care products. Very different. So for example, we did a project with P&G, Procter & Gamble Ventures, where they were looking for up-and-coming scientists and technologists who were disrupting menopause, women's wellness, men's wellness, again, things that consumables that you put on or in your body. And they were doing a grant program, but really it's P&G Ventures. They were looking for companies to acquire right out the gate. You're in stealth mode and I'm respecting that, but just understand that if it's something you're putting on or in your body, and if it's a great product, a Unilever or a P&G or a Conagra Foods or a PepsiCo are going to try to scoop you up while you're cheap. And cheap is 100, 200, 300 million dollars. It's nothing. Jack shit. Pardon my life. So getting back to Kalila and her journey, which I think is honestly more analogous to your journey, because that's the answer to that question. Like, how can I be like your friend, Jamie, or who is it? No, the essence of the question is what, Kalila, do you feel like had you known would have expedited the process for you? So I think that the beauty of the journey is almost like having the journey. So I think that's really the true answer. I'm sure even with the deodorant person as well, it's one of those things where you don't know what that beauty is going to even be around the corner. It's one of those things where you definitely need to just stay fast and be ready and keep going, even when people are just not noticing you. This morning, I was actually reading or running and listening to one of my favorite books, The 12 Week Year. And in the book, they were saying that it's not the medals that make you great. It's actually the work that you've done before that you were already great. Like you were great probably years before that. The medals are the acknowledgement. Target is my acknowledgement of my greatness. Her getting into those food stores, we don't know her past. She could have been doing something else, but Mm -hmm. that hard work and whatever she's done in the past that was already her greatness. Now people are catching up. I don't think that there is truly any like a formula or any type of recipe to the greatness. It's really just you being determined, you being consistent. Like those are the things that even within reading a book, it's truly the consistency of you paying attention when nobody else is. 
because there were many times with Serena Williams, I tried to get her in product like years ago, I tried to meet her and I was unable to. And I was like, tag, I missed this great opportunity. And just a year or two later, she ended up purchasing jackets for everyone in her family. Another great thing to mention, if Target approached me maybe two to three years ago, one, I probably wasn't ready in many different capacities. Number two, like Karen said, I don't know what's going to happen or who might acquire us or what, you know, selling. I don't want things to happen too early. And I'm learning that now because I've already bootstrapped. I've already grew this thing to a multi-million dollar company. If this was maybe like a couple zeros ago, I'd be like, okay, if somebody offers you a million dollars, you might be like, huh, a million dollars? Oh my gosh. Now I'm like, how much? No, let's try again. You know what I mean? And that wouldn't have came if I didn't have this journey. So that's the thing too. I think that your path and your journey sort of, I don't want things to happen too early. Major retail stores have always been like this thing that I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait for it to happen. And then reality of it is, who knows? I could have gotten in then. They could have wanted a purchase order. I could have busted my butt, got the purchase order, took all my capital, try to make it happen. And it could have tanked us. It's just one of those things where I'm learning, like it wasn't time. Definitely, it wasn't time. And even now, major retail stores are coming to me and they're like, hey, I want you in here. And I'm like, what are you doing for me? Literally, that was my answer. I'm not fascinated by your company and what your store name is and how many locations that you could possibly put us into. I really rocked with Target because of what they did for us. It was truly like we're investing in you and we're investing in your brand. For me, that's important. So now I'm not just so fancied with you want a black woman in your store and like you want another check mark. Like, what are you doing for me? If you want that check mark, you got to be doing something a lot for this mm -hmm. to happen. Khalil, you talked about brand and I'm just going to let this organically go because it's great, but it's important to just signpost a couple places here. You have a product that people have been buying to the tune of multi-million dollars in revenue before Target came along. Mm -hmm. You have hundreds of thousands of followers on your socials. Everybody who's anybody in the entrepreneurship mm -hmm. or just in activism knows who you are, are wearing your t-shirts and your products are excellent. You design them and you manufacture them yourself. Mm -hmm. You have shared your journey. I mean, that's how I know you. Obviously, you're part of mm -hmm. Ivan Color and Ivan Women's family. And we've become friends over the years, but you have brought all the other aspiring women entrepreneurs with you on your journey through your Instagram and now through your podcast and through all the media you do. And it's real. It's no BS. It's so authentic. But getting back to the point of you have a product that millions of people love, purchased, and mm -hmm. you have repeat business. You are always coming up with fresh ideas. You are completely on point and on trend in, with your customers. Like You know who your customers are so intensely and what they want printed on that shirt. This is about what resonates. You have to have a good product. This wasn't about me being a Black woman. I literally created something that a white guy in Arkansas loves and or feels like he needs to give it to his neighbor or give it to his mom or give it to his sister. I just think creating things that really can resonate Mess in a Bottle is not just a t-shirt company. Mess in a Bottle sells confidence. Mess in a Bottle is something that connects people. Mess in a Bottle evokes emotion. 
those are things that I know I do. And messing a bottle sometimes shakes you up and forces you to think. And so, again, I've tapped into that. And that's kind of what I play off of. I spent a lot of years at, well, I spent some time at Nike and what you just said. I'm like, that sounds like what happens in the design room. Yeah. When you realize that you have that power, there's a lot that you can do with it. And I think that's how big companies are truly built. Oh, hey, everybody, it's me. We're going to take a quick pause for a big funding energy moment from our amazing partner. Take a listen. Did you know that through iFundWomen's first ever Entrepreneur of the Year program, we're investing $100,000 into one deserving woman entrepreneur's business? In addition, hundreds of thousands of dollars in monetary grants and coaching scholarships will be awarded to category honorees and runners-up. What are you waiting for? Apply today at ifunwomen.com forward slash EOY21. That's ifunwomen.com forward slash EOY21. Ooh, so having a product that people buy, Mm -hmm. an overnight success takes five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Manufacturing is a huge piece of it. So when I heard you say Khalil, and correct me if I'm wrong, you could have maybe eked it out and it could have gone terribly or it could have gone okay, but it would have been a real stretch. What it sounds like Target offered you was manufacturing as well. Mm -hmm. Here's what we're doing here, people. We are just dispelling the myths. We're cutting through the BS. That's what the beauty of iFund Women's community does. We are bringing real women who have done it Because I see all these parallel stories of someone working on something for a really long time and learning all the lessons and going on the journey. And then I see another five or 10 people who did something similar, but it didn't take them 10 years or eight years or whatever it is. It took them five years. And as someone who has produced a kid science show for 10 years and all the things that I absolutely can say We're a part of the journey. We're necessary parts, like all of those warm, fuzzy, emotional, true things. But there's also a lot of stuff that I feel like I did not need to keep learning. And had I just heard it one or two times and known it was me spinning my wheels or just overthinking or anxiety or whatever it is, I would have been further along in the process quicker. I would have gotten over myself quicker. I would have known where to go versus spending hours and hours Googling it. And it's just a phone call away. So it's not about how fast. It's about what are the things that you wish you had known? What are the things that are just a SWOT analysis? What are the just main bits that I need to know? Because I don't feel like enough people talk about it. I don't think that there's enough information about it. And that's where I've been spinning my wheels. So that's why I'm asking. But it's not about rushing It's not about biting off more than one can chew. It's about what does it look like? How do I, as a small business, how do I get on the radar of a target? Do I just wait for them to find me? Or is there something intentional that I can do? My original answer and still how I feel is I make noise on my own. And when you make noise on your own, people will hear you. Not target. I have people in Zimbabwe that have heard me. That's my focus. That is how you expedite the process. How you expedite the process is creating so much noise that people damn near have to put on earmuffs because you're being so loud. So every event, I was always at something, wearing a message, being loud about my business, bringing products with me. I literally would go to conferences with a suitcase full of mess in the bottle stuff and giving them to the audience, bringing cards with 
I come from a place for Brooklyn, New York with a real street team mentality. And I laugh about it now because I'm like, how did you ever know about a party that was going to happen? You knew about it because somebody at night, can you imagine? We live in a totally different, our kids will never understand what this is. Someone would literally go putting glue on a poster and putting a poster on different light posts. You have flyers that would go on the car, on the dash, but you know, things like that. So for me, that's the mentality I had. And that's what I thought about. Like, I really felt like I was selling t-shirts from the trunk of my car. I was from Under Armour, Kevin Plank. Like, that's a story he told about selling Under Armour gear out of his trunk. And so that was the hunger. So I would say, again, I created my own noise. After this Target thing happens, it's going to be quiet. I should already be creating my own noise, doing my own thing, continuing to share my story, making sure that I'm, you know, having noise, meeting me and with other people, seeing how the connection of meeting with them or having our products in the store, what is it kind of pushing me towards? I think that also like learning your lessons or whatever. One of the things I wanted to say is if you learned what you were supposed to, you wouldn't have been making those same. You wouldn't have been spinning your wheels. I read something the other day that said, like, the lessons are going to keep hearing it until you actually got it. And so you didn't get it, like not fully, because that's why they kept coming back up. And so I think it's just one of those things where if you're continuing to make the noise and make it loud and then a lot of people are not listening to the message. People don't know when to pivot. People don't know when to change. And I do this myself. I'm a designer. I'm a creative. So sometimes I go down the wrong path and I'm strong till I'm wrong. Like I just will not give up. I'd be like, nope, this is what I want to do. But I'm learning now. I'm now positioning myself. And maybe this is, again, maybe something great to give to budding people like yourself or people within their career. It's almost like you're supposed to be positioning yourself around people who are sort of even smarter and better than you are. I'm positioning myself around more data-driven people. I might be like, oh my gosh, this looks pretty. I mean, of course it'll sell. Why not? And if the data says it's not selling, if the data says it does not work, then I need to stop beating a dead horse. And so those are some of the things that I've learned through the time, because I think that unfortunately we become so tunnel vision in our own shit that we're not really seeing what the message like. I meet so many people with amazing businesses. Like you said, you have a science show. And I'm like, again, I don't fully know the premise of your show and what you're trying to do, but there could be something really small in there. That's really the highlight, really the key of what you should be focused on. But because we're so in tuned or so more focused on the big execution of everything that we don't even see the amazingness that could be in five minutes worth of the thing that we're creating 35 minutes of. And so that is sometimes what I think the problem is that people end up, there is not this big elongated like thing that we're trying to make it. Another thing, I'm an architect by trade. And when I was doing architecture, white men in glasses, old men, they used to tell me like, oh gosh, you're not an architect. You don't look like an architect. My professors, they would be like, it's not it. And I'll be like, dad, I went away really feeling like I'm not an architect. And I eventually decided, I mean, I could be an architect if I want to, but I'm not like I'm a designer. I'm a creative. And so when I started creating messages, I just put whatever I wanted, whatever I felt when people started to be like, oh, my gosh. And it was like the most simplistic And they'll be like, wow. And I'm like, you guys really like this? And it would just click in seconds. And so I'm like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. 
if you're creating something that people love, that there's not too much effort, it's effortless on your part, it's effortless when they watch it, you know you've created, that's when you know that it's right. So maybe architecture wasn't my space, not just because they were saying it, because it also didn't click to me. I would be spitting spitball at a wall and it would not stick in architecture at all. It didn't mean that I'm not a good architect. It didn't mean that I'm not a great designer. It just meant that that just wasn't my thing. And even in that time, I could go next year and go back for something else and do something in architecture if I truly wanted to and connect Mess in a Bottle to architecture because it wasn't that time and that season. It just didn't connect. And I think that that's another thing that people just failed to see. It was time to pivot in many yeah. ways. But once you find what the sweet spot is, you thrive in it effortlessly. Yeah, I worked at a big advertising agency here in Portland, Oregon. And one of the things that they would say all the time was fail harder. And the essence of what that saying was meant to communicate is what I feel like you're almost saying. You're not even talking about failure. What I'm receiving from you is it's a process of iterating, analyzing, iterating, analyzing, executing on something, taking yep. a pause to mm -hmm. really look at working, what yep. about it working, and then keeping working and doing more of yep. what is working versus just going and doing, which is totally what I am guilty That's of. That's what every entrepreneur does. And they don't <laughs> understand they're beating themselves into the yeah. ground because yeah. they're not look. I mean, I do it too. I'm not looking at the things that's working and keep on going at the thing that is like, that's it. Keep hitting it because that's mm -hmm. the spot. But then I go, oh, but maybe I'll design, you know, curtains. And they're like, go back to what's working and stick to that thing. I think that that's truly it. There's a book, another book. I'm just spitting my books out. I don't really read like I need to, but it's called The Messy Middle. And I only bought it okay. because it says mess in it. But The Messy Middle, they said that there's basically two kinds of founders. And the one that I resonated with, that's why I remember, it said it's like the spitball, like you're really spitting at the wall, seeing what sticks. But they also said in the book how sometimes it could be detrimental to your team, because if you're spitting at the wall so much, that means your team is spinning. They're the ones spinning and doing yeah. and spinning and doing. But like you said, because that implementing, trying, stopping, it can become draining too. You have to find your sweet spot. But it is just the fact that you have to assess, evaluate, look at data, look at information. It has to make sense. A lot of people are doing entrepreneurship out here. And I mean, again, myself included, there are a lot of things and I've hired someone who helps me to say, this part ain't it. Try again, because it makes no sense. You're exhausting yourself in these areas that just truly are not working. Uh, I mean, your wisdom, I have learned as an entrepreneur who has second time entrepreneur, first time failed, have now learned to test one thing, learn, look at the data. Are people buying this thing? Are Does they it work? Sending it to a friend? Does it work? Start with one product and just get it out. Lindsay, you have such a big built-in community of parents that care about STEM education for their kids. So whatever this product is that you're making that goes along with the show, make one thing or two things sell them or get them, get some free samples in little mini sizes of whatever it is. Get samples to your customers yeah, and solicit feedback. See if they like it, if their kids used it, if it goes along with the whole thing that you want, if it's achieving the goals that you want mm -hmm. the product to achieve. And then from there you iterate. 
right? And maybe on the first shot, because you've done so much research and you come from this world of building brands and advertising and brand marketing and brand building. So you have the domain expertise to know how to do this. In any event, I think what we can take from Kalila is so much, but at the core of it is she has a product that is so beloved and that so many people buy and that she has spent years iterating on and understanding what people want to buy. Mm-hmm. That when Target came a knocking, she was spiritually ready. Mm-hmm. And they were a great partner in helping you in investing in the yeah. company, amping up your manufacturing because manufacturing is a whole other conversation, but that you have to be able to manufacture huge quantities for these big yeah. stores. And Kalila's built a brand that celebrities around the world and the white guy in Nebraska all equally love. Yeah. It's like a Coca-Cola, you know, it really is. And that's unique. That's what Target's looking for or Walmart or Kohl's or global products that work for anyone, no matter what shape, size, color, beliefs, universally useful and accessible, relatable products that make people happy. Yeah. Kalila, do you think I did an okay job summing that up? You did. I hope that helps. I love you guys. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? It helps a ton. And I want to let you go because I know you're so busy. And Regina. Yeah, my son's probably downstairs running them up. Thank you so much. Where can we find your podcast? Tell everyone. I'm sure we are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And it's called What a Mess. Everyone needs to listen. Okay, hi. How do you feel? Amazing. I know this was unexpected. We pulled this together. I mean, but Karen, it's you and it's me. So of course magic is going to happen. Thank you for that. That was I wow. Thanks. It's actually I fund women of color. So I want to leave us with some words that I'm going to read from Olivia. I'm a funded woman of color. I know, I know. So the reason why we're so excited about today's show is because we are going to show you what happens behind the scenes of iPhone women of colors in the community. Truly. We know that one of the top challenges for women of color is access to connections that can help them level up in their businesses. And our community is giving them access to peers who can coach them through it based on their experience. Okay, so when you came to us and said, I want to solve this problem, or I want to understand what the process is. And I've never had a product in Target. Elizabeth Eichhorn, one of our coaches has, but obviously I knew I'm like, Kalila, we know that access to connections who can help you quickly to your point, to your original point. It's like, I don't want to do all the Googling. Someone has the answers. And again, there's not one path into a big box store. And this may have made you rethink, like, is that what I want? Am I ready for this? And you might be like, hell yeah. Yeah, that's where I am. So hopefully this got you to think. Kalila obviously had so many incredible insights. How do you feel? Just like, where's your head at? And we're going to wrap it up. It was really fantastic. I feel like she got to the nitty gritty of what some of the just like practical things and particular things are that... As a person who has spent so much time in marketing, as a person who has spent so much time in production, as a person who has spent so much time marketing products and that whole thing, I still don't know what it means to get on the shelves. And so hearing from someone who maybe would have had a product in like a niche space, but clearly had mainstream appeal, how do I hop that fence? And I'll just go ahead and say it as a black woman, I feel like there's this fence where it's like, I watch other people get onto shelves. I watch it happen. 
And I still feel like I'm always in discovery mode or trying to figure it out or like, what are the steps? Literally hopping the fence to like, this is what it actually looks like. Or the gate is right over there. You don't even have to hop the fence. And I feel like I got a lot closer to that for sure. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. I learned a lot. Listen, so much of everything is just product market fit. Yeah. And just getting people to buy and love your product. And from there, Eric Schmidt, when I was at Google, was always like, if people use the product, the revenue will come. If people love your product, the revenue will come. And it's true. Entrepreneurs, thank you for listening to this episode of the iPhone Women Show. If you loved what you heard and you learned stuff, please go and give us a five-star review. That's right, five stars. Do it, do it, do it. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with everyone you know, or at least share it with the entrepreneurs in your life. And you do have our permission to share it with dudes. We are an equal access funding platform. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, concerns, thoughts, feelings, whatever, Follow at iFunWomen on all the socials. We would love to hear from you. Slide into our DMs and we will totally get back to you.